the early 1990s, a stoic man pulled off a string of bank robberies in the Dallas suburbs. He was dubbed Cowboy Bob by the FBI agents who were left scratching their heads trying to find him. When they finally did find him, Cowboy Bob turned out to be quite the surprise. I'm Taylor, and this is Square Mile of Murder. I'm Kat, and welcome back, everyone, for our first episode of 2021. Yay! Most of the UK is on lockdown. We are now Uh, the new, like, persona non grata of the world. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Brexit has happened. Brexit's happened. So we're we're on our own. We're banned from entering any other countries. Yeah, so. we're banned from most of Europe. We're banned from North America. You know. Um, so, you know. 2021, off to a uh, good start. Uh, hope you all had a good Christmas. Yes. Or whatever you celebrate. A festive season, if you will. Yes. Um, hope you all stayed safe. Yeah. Hopefully you had a decent New Year's. I mean, I did the same thing I do every year. I eat, like, a giant pizza and loads of crisps and fizzy pop and fall asleep at, like, 10 p.m. That's uh, my New Year's vibe. I really wanted to go to bed early this New Year's because I just couldn't be bothered. But um, the Gremlins family wanted to do, a like, a video call. So, so we stayed up. We called from bed <laughs> and then <laughs> hung up and immediately went to sleep. So, wonderful start to 2021. Yeah. And uh, yeah, back to our story. Our main source for this episode was an amazing article in Texas Monthly called The Last Ride of Cowboy Bob, which we highly suggest everyone go read. And we'll link in the show notes or on our website, as always. Mm-hmm. So, the first bank robbery occurred in May 1991. Oh, Taylor was just a baby. Yeah. I was still in utero. (laughs) Still safe. (laughs) Yeah, May 1991 at the American Federal Bank in Irving, Texas. Cowboy Bob walked into the bank and up to a young female teller. He was about 5'10", a large, imposing man. Bit of a paunch. What on earth is a paunch? Like a little, like a belly. Like a little... Oh, like pot belly. Yeah, pot belly. Oh. I never heard that word before. Ah. See, learning things already. <laughs> he was white with grain hair, looked to be in his mid-40s, had a big bushy moustache and a beard. He wore a brown leather jacket, leather gloves, oversized aviator sunglasses, and a large 10, 10-gallon cowboy hat backwards. Uh, the teller said, hello, sir, how may I help you? Uh, but Cowboy Bob remained silent. He simply handed her a note that read, this is a bank robbery. Give me your money. No marked bills or die packs. The teller was stunned, but did what the note said and handed over a large stack of money from her drawer. Bob nodded and shoved the money into a bag and calmly walked out of the bank. He got into an orange 1975 Pontiac Grand Prix and drove away. Over the next year, Cowboy Bob struck again and again. 
always robbing banks calmly and making a clean getaway. In December 1991, Cowboy Bob hit the Savings of America Bank in Irving and stole $1,258. During this robbery, an eyewitness managed to write down the license plate number of the Pontiac, but when the FBI tracked down the car's owner, they found a red Chevy in a woman's driveway with one of the license plates missing. So Cowboy Bob had clearly stolen the woman's plate and switched them out for his own. The FBI were brought in to investigate the robberies. FBI agent Steve Powell was impressed with the robbers' skills. In fact, Powell believed that Cowboy Bob, and Powell is the one who came up with this name, was undoubtedly a professional and experienced bank robber. There were a handful of clues that led him to that conclusion. Bob wore his large hat backwards and low over his face to avoid the security cameras. He said nothing at all during the robberies and then just walked calmly out of the bank to avoid arousing suspicion. He didn't race off in his getaway car. He barely drew any attention to himself at all. Powell suspected that Cowboy Bob's beard was probably fake, but other than that, he had no clue who this mastermind was. In January 1992, Cowboy Bob stole roughly $3,000 from the Texas Heritage Bank in Garland. Then in May, he robbed the Nations Bank in Mesquite. He got away with $5,317 and made a very smart move. Bob checked through the cash before leaving the bank and handed a stack of bills to the teller. That stack contained a die pack that would have been electronically triggered the second Bob walked out of the door. So instead of getting caught thanks to the die pack and its permanent ink, Cowboy Bob walked away clean. It's pretty, like, impressive. This is not his first rodeo. No. Well done. Well done. All right, that, that should have been in there. I'm, I'm, I'm disappointed in myself. Um. So, as Cowboy Bob kept getting away with it, Steve Powell was getting frustrated. Powell and his colleagues at the FBI were baffled that this guy kept sneaking by them. Powell told Skip Hollinsworth at Texas Monthly, quote, How could this thin little dried up cowboy be whipping us this bad time after time? Cowboy Bob struck again. In September 1992, he stole $1,772 from First Gibraltar Bank in Mesquite. Uh, Once again, police and the FBI quickly arrived on the scene and tracked the license plate number to another nearby resident who was also surprised to find his license plate missing. Uh, Cowboy Bob had slipped the net again, but then he made a mistake. I wonder how often people actually really think about their license plates i don't i don't like so we have a driveway so i know the plates on the back of my car Mm -hmm. um if my car's on the back of the drive i know the front one's on but not the back one because that's the one i see to get in when i go to get in the car yeah but i don't go and check and make sure they're both there no and like and i know where i park my car and there's generally no other car, you know, it's not that I have a rare car or anything, it's just a standard average car. But 
it's rare that I park next to a car that looks like mine, so I know my car. And also, if I can't find it, I just hit the clicker until I see lights flashing. <laughs> see, we park on the street here, and there are a lot of other red hatchbacks that look similar to ours in the area. So I use our number plate to make sure that the car that I'm approaching is our car. And we don't. We also don't have a remote unlock. You have to put the key in. But mm-hmm. like at in America, I've never known my license plate number except when I inherited my mother's car that had a, a custom license plate on it. So mm-hmm. like I've never fucking known. Some states, you don't need both license plates on the car. You only need the back or you only need the front. It oh. it totally varies. So um I don't I don't think I would notice like until someone pointed it out to me necessarily. But yeah, apparently they they would like ring these people's doorbells and and then the people would go outside to look at their car and notice that one of the license plates was missing mm. and that'd be their first indication it's like holy shit yeah um yes so bob made a mistake while they were finishing up at first gibraltar bank investigators received a call mesquite's first interstate bank had just been robbed and it was only a mile away the bank had been robbed by a man with a beard wearing a cowboy hat a leather coat and gloves And he had managed to steal a whopping $13,706. The FBI raced over to First Interstate Bank, hot on Cowboy Bob's trail. Again, a witness had managed to spot the license plate number on Cowboy Bob's Pontiac Grand Prix. The plate traced back to a man named Pete Tellis. Is that Tellis? Tellis. Tellis. Oh, this is in Mesquite, not Dallas, though, isn't it? (laughs) Oh, but it's a same general area. The FBI found Talis at work at an auto parts factory in the nearby town of Carrollton. When asked about the car, Pete told the agents that he had given the car to his mother, Helen, and his sister, Peggy Jo, because they couldn't afford a car. When agents told Pete that the car had just been used in a bank robbery, he replied, bullshit, that car can't go fast enough. I just love that line. (laughs) To be fair, that sounds like something I'd go yeah. out with if someone was like, your car was using a bank robbery, like, nah. There's no way. <laughs> anyway, uh, Talis gave the FBI Helen and Peggy Joe's address, and upon arrival, agents spotted the car in the parking lot. While trying to decide how to approach the situation, agents saw a woman leave the apartment and get into the car. Powell assumed that this must have been Cowboy Bob's girlfriend and he decided to let her drive away and confront her away from the apartment so the robber wouldn't notice the interaction. They pulled over the Pontiac around the corner and Powell introduced himself to the woman inside. Uh, The woman was Peggy Jo Tallis, Pete's sister. She told him that yes, the car was hers and that she had driven it earlier in the morning to get fertilizer at a nursery. Powell asked to look in the trunk, where, indeed, he found a bag of fertilizer. Uh, And then he asked if he could look around Peggy Jo's apartment. Peggy Jo hesitated. She said the only person in the house was her sick mother, but ultimately she agreed. Uh, They made their way to the apartment and rang the doorbell. Peggy Jo's mother, Helen, slowly got out of bed and made her way to the front door. 
She was startled when she opened it, and several FBI agents rushed past her with guns out. Why did Peggy Jo ring the doorbell to her own apartment? I don't know. I think the agents did. I just find that weird. I, I wasn't quite sure about that part, but... I know law enforcement love to make a mess of other people's property and make a big entrance, but... Dude, she's there. She has a key. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's a security thing? Like, not tip off someone inside? I don't know. So you get the sick mother out of yeah. bed? <laughs> it's not ideal. I'll give you that. Um... Yeah, so they come in guns blazing. Uh, they made their way through the apartment into Peggy Joe's bedroom. The room was neat and tidy with seemingly nothing out of place. But then uh, one agent looked at the top shelf inside her closet where he saw a styrofoam mannequin head with a beard pinned to it. And on top of this fake head was Cowboy Bob's big old cowboy hat. When he checked under the bed, the agent found a bag full of money. So, Powell tried to make a run at Peggy Joe. He told her to give up the man she was hiding, but she held firm. She said, there isn't any man, I promise you that. And that's when Powell noticed something. He saw that Peggy Joe had some bits of gray dye in her hair and spots of glue on her upper lip. It was then that he knew. He pulled out his handcuffs and read Peggy Joe her rights. Cowboy Bob had been caught, and he was actually Cowgirl Peggy. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. We don't need a soundboard. We can be our own soundboard. Yeah, exactly. So let's go back a minute and talk about our disguised bank robber, Peggy Joe Tallis. She was born on June 6, 1944, in the suburb of Grand Prairie, as the youngest of three children. When she was four years old, her father Pete died of cancer, and her mother Helen got a job as a nurse's aide to support the family. By all accounts, Peggy Jo was a free-spirited teenager with an enthusiasm for life. Her sister Nancy and brother Pete participated in your standard high school activities like majorettes, dance team, and basketball. But Peggy Jo dropped out of high school after her sophomore year, which is 10th grade. So so what age are you there? 15, 16. 15, 16. So that's like year 11 here. Yeah. Uh, she had a tendency to follow flights of fancy. Why not? Yeah. One time she drove all the way to San Francisco just because she wanted to see what life was like there. I quite like that. Yeah. That's not a take sh- short drive either. But No. Like but I I like that idea of just being like, "Oh, I want to see what this place is like, so let's go there." Yeah. No. I mean, we used to do that when like when I passed my driving test, so I'd be 17. I was the only one of my friends who had a driver's license and we used to just like drive around, especially at night. Like obviously we weren't driving like hundreds of miles. Mm-hmm. But like just little towns and villages and stuff that we knew were in the area, but we'd never been to. Yeah. So we weren't on the bus route or the train route. <laughs> so we'd be like, oh, let's go through here. Yeah, I love doing that. Mm. It's so much fun. Yeah. That's one thing I missed when I didn't have a car when I lived in Glasgow. Same. Was just being able to just go explore. I used to love just driving all around um, like L.A. County uh, or like driving up into the mountains and in Malibu and just sort of like 
taking random turns and seeing where I ended up kind of thing. Yeah. We used to do that where it'd be like, I'd be driving and I'd be like, right, pick left or right. Yeah. Whoever was in the car. And yeah, you picked left or right if we got, if like, if it was somewhere I knew, I'd be like, no, we're not going that way because it goes to here. But if it was somewhere I didn't know, I'd be like, okay, we'll go here. Yeah. And we just drive all around like the moors and the national park and everything. Yeah. Because it's so much fun. It's fun. I love it. But yeah. So, didn't go as far as San Francisco, but. <laughs> like the Peggy idea. Joe. We like this idea. Peggy Jo went all the way to San Francisco. When she returned, she brought back a book of poetry for her best friend, Karen. Karen recalled getting the book and thinking, of all people, Peggy Jo's been off reading poetry in San Francisco. But that's just who she was, always ready for an adventure. Peggy Jo moved to North Dallas and started working as a receptionist at a Marriott Hotel. She and a co-worker, Cherry Young, became friends at work and spent their nights out on the town, hitting all the Dallas nightclubs, racing other cars between stoplights, seeing famous 60s mainstays like The Doors, The Doobie Brothers and The Rolling Stones, and going to the movies. Peggy Jo's favourite film was Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, and she went to see it over and over again. She never got married didn't plan to settle down, and only worried about having enough money to pay the bills and have a bit left over for fun nights out. Her biggest dream was to save up enough money to move to Mexico and live on the beach. Peggy Jo often told her friend Cherry that she felt wild at heart. I mean, up to the bank robberies, I'm kind of liking this girl. Right? Like, there's something that happens with this story that it's just like, I don't care that she's dropping banks. She's just awesome. Mm. Um, but would we feel the same way if it was actually a guy? Probably not. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, yeah, so she felt wild at heart, and that wild side did come out every so often. Uh, she once got a speeding ticket and... Uh, just laughed and ripped up the ticket in front of the officer who had pulled her over, which is bold. Uh, <laughs> Pretty bold. Yep. Yeah. Uh, one night, she and Cherry had an argument in a restaurant in Fort Worth. Cherry left and walked to another bar to cool off, and Peggy Joe followed soon after, but happened upon an unlocked pickup truck outside. The keys were still in the ignition. So she got in and drove away, as you do. Uh, the police eventually caught up with her, uh, and she pled guilty to a felony charge of unauthorized use of a motor vehicle and received a five-year probated sentence. A pickup truck, though, like, okay, if it was like a really nice sports car or supercar or something... Hell yeah. Yeah, but this is... Take your chances. This is Texas. Doesn't... Everyone yeah. loves a pickup truck. Yeah, but they're also ubiquitous. <laughs> True. <laughs> I don't know. Why steal Why steal a pickup truck? Why not? It's there. <laughs> um, But yeah, that was pretty much the only trouble that Peggy Jo got herself into. Her nieces and nephews have fond memories of her babysitting them. Her niece, Michelle, told Texas Monthly, 
She made up funny games for us to play. She cooked us popcorn. And then at the end of the night, she told us ghost stories where the goats, where the ghosts were always creaking up the stairs and doors were squeaking. She truly had a heart of gold. Her life wasn't just wild nights out and being the fun aunt. She dealt with her fair share of struggle and heartache. Her friends remember her telling them that in the mid-70s, she fell in love with a man who lived near Dallas, but a few months later, the relationship was over. Her childhood friend Karen said that Peggy Jo had seen a woman getting into the driver's seat of the man's car when she was in town one day, so she walked over and asked what she was doing, to which the woman replied, Well, ma'am, this is my husband's car. Peggy Jo had no idea she'd been dating a married man and was completely devastated. Soon after this relationship ended, Peggy Jo moved in with her mother in Irving. Helen was sick. She'd been diagnosed with a degenerative bone disease and Peggy Jo had to take care of her. You do know that when my degenerative spinal disease catches up with me, you've got to take care of me. (laughs) You do know this, so just hope you and the gremlin are prepared for this. Uh, While Peggy Jo worked various jobs to help pay her and her mother's bills, her friends grew up, got married, and drifted away. Peggy Jo never really dated again, and her friends believe that she never got over the betrayal from this married man. Before she knew it, it was 1984, and Peggy Jo was 40. She and her mother moved to an apartment in Garland to be closer to family. Her sister Nancy lived nearby, but Peggy Jo and Pete had a falling out and didn't speak very often. On top of caring for her mother, Peggy Jo started to experience her own medical problems. Uh, She hurt her back, and uh, then she had to have an emergency mastectomy. She dealt with anxiety over paying the bills. Uh, Her income and her mother's social security barely covered uh, Helen's rising medical bills. Uh, And there was something else, too. Cherry would come to visit Peggy Jo from time to time, and she noticed something was a little off with her friend. Uh, Cherry said, I think Peg was starting to feel, well, like her life was slipping away. You get to a place in your life and you start looking back and you say to yourself that it's not working out the way you hoped. You think everything is slipping away and you feel, I don't know, crazy. I think Peg missed being wild at heart. I get that. (laughs) Yeah. I just think that starts... I think now that happens earlier and earlier. Yeah, I think. Because we've got to a point where it's like, oh my God, you're not married with... We've gone full circle. We're back at like when you're not married with kids by the time you're 30. It's like your life's over. Yeah. And life doesn't work out like that. No. Um, Hell, we were 28 when we figured out what we're really good at. Yeah, right. I mean, I'm still 20. I'm refusing to get any older. That sounds good to me. One of my childhood friends turned 30 today, and I'm just like, <laughs> not okay with it. <laughs> yeah. So she missed being wild at heart. We all miss being wild at heart. Um, so maybe it was the pressure of the growing bills. Maybe it was this feeling that she had lost her way. One way or another, Peggy Joe decided that she was going to start robbing some banks disguised as a man. And it turned out that she was damn good at it. And she made none of the mistakes that first-time bank robbers often make. When she was finally caught, her family was baffled. 
They had no clue what Peggy Joe had been up to and could hardly believe she had robbed one bank, let alone several. Her mother, Helen, was especially surprised. Now, Steve Powell, for his part, was fascinated. He wanted to know everything he could about how Peggy Joe learned to rob banks so well. And he was particularly interested to know why she had decided to rob two banks in one day and why she hadn't bothered to steal another license plate. He said, If she had just followed her usual routine, we could still very well be wondering who Cowboy Bob really was. Despite Powell's curiosity, Peggy Joe wouldn't tell him anything. Only once her attorney hired a psychiatrist to interview her did she start giving up little bits of information. She admitted that she initially decided to rob a bank to help pay for her mother's medical bills. But that was pretty much all she would say. When he asked why she kept going after the first robbery, she never answered. Because she never carried a weapon during her robberies, Peggy Jo was given a light sentence. She received 33 months in federal prison. When her niece Michelle visited her in prison, Peggy Jo was cheerful and chatty, but wouldn't talk about the robberies beyond saying that she'd never do it again. And when she was contacted by a true crime author who wanted to write her story, she turned him down. She wanted to put the whole thing behind her. And that's something she managed to do. She was out of jail by the mid-90s and moved with her mother to a new place in Garland. Helen's condition had worsened since Peggy Jo was incarcerated and now she could barely hold her own utensils whilst eating. Peggy Jo got a handful of jobs including telemarketer and cashier at the marina. Her manager at the marina said that Peggy Jo had been one of her best employees. Peggy Jo would often check in on, on customers who were down on their luck and would use her own money to help them out. Her sister Nancy died of breast cancer and then her mother, Helen, died in 2002 at the age of 83. At Helen's funeral, Peggy Jo and her brother Pete set aside their differences, and she started joining them at family gatherings. In the summer of 2004, Peggy Jo decided it was time to move on, and she bought an RV from a man at the marina for around $6,000. She told her boss she was ready to finally live on the beach, quote, before life ran out on her. Uh, but she didn't head to the beach right away. She spent some time in RV parks around various Texas lakes, and then for a while she disappeared. Nobody is quite sure where she'd gone off to, but some say they had seen her in Tyler, Texas in October 2004, which is right around the same time that a bank robbery happened at Tyler's Guarantee Bank. An older man with a big belly, a mustache, floppy hat and baggy clothes, walked up to the counter and said, all your money, no bait bills, no blow-up money. After receiving the money, he walked out of the bank and down the street. Nobody saw his getaway vehicle. One bank teller told the FBI that the robber had a soft, almost feminine voice, and his mustache may have been glued on. But, you know, by that point... Nobody had Cowboy Bob on their minds anymore. Hmm. Interesting. Very interesting. For the rest of 2004 and into early 2005, Peggy Jo called her family from payphones to tell them that she was doing fine. Michelle ran into her at a Walmart in Garland buying cigarettes, paper towels, and fajita meat. 
I didn't know you got specific fajita meat. I didn't either. It's fun to say. It is fun. <laughs> I didn't either. It's mentioned multiple times in this Skip Holmes or Texas Monthly article. And now I just want to know, like, what is fajita meat? Like, he- does, does that mean, like, it's already been seasoned meat? and everything? Maybe. But, like, yeah, because they, they mentioned multiple times, like, oh, she would cook up fajita meat and chopped onions in her RV. And it's like, what does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> Just want to know. Michelle said that her aunt seemed happy. And on May 4th, Pete heard his sister was packed at an RV park in Kaufman County on a farm owned by a family member. So he drove out to see her and catch up. They talked and looked at old family photos that Peggy Jo kept in her RV. She told him that she was getting ready to pack up and hit the road for a new adventure. He double-checked that she was okay and she said she was happy. He said he'd see her later and left. The next morning, Peggy Jo woke up, made her bed, put on a long-sleeved black shirt, black trousers, put on a large black straw hat, a pair of large sunglasses. Sounds very ominous. It does. All in black. Yeah. She drove her RV to the parking lot of a jack-in-the-box in Tyler. That jack-in-the-box just happened to be right across the street from the guarantee bank that had been robbed a few months earlier. Yeah. Also, I just want to say, I miss jack-in-the-box so bad. It is it's, delicious. It, what? It's fast food yeah. chain. Is it like a burger place? They do burgers, but they also do like some more like southwestern stuff like tacos and burritos and stuff. And oh god, they had the best what what was it used to be called? Like sp spicy jack chicken sandwich or something that oh 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 that was my hangover food in LA. Oh my god. So good. I remember seeing one when I was in Idaho, but we never went there. Yeah. I'm a big fan. Parked at the Jack in the Box. She's across the street from the bank. Peggy Jo walked across the street with a black bag in her hand and walked into the bank. She walked up to the teller and said, this is a robbery. I need all your money. Don't set any alarms. Uh, the young teller gave Peggy Jo everything in her drawer, which amounted to $11,241. But this time, Peggy Jo made a big mistake. She didn't check the money for dye packs, and when she crossed the threshold, one exploded and covered the money in red ink. Uh, red smoke spilled out of the bag as Peggy Jo rushed back across the street to her RV. Chris and Courtney Smith were in their car with their kids and noticed the smoking bag. They assumed that the person running across traffic must have just robbed a bank. Uh, Courtney called 911, and Chris then followed Peggy Joe's RV. And there's a point in the article where it says that he told his children to get down in the back. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> get down, kids. We're going on a car chase. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, they called 911. And as luck would have it, or... Not so much luck in Peggy Joe's case. Uh, a group of FBI agents were actually cruising around Tyler that day looking for bank robbers. Uh, you see, three banks had been robbed in the area, and the FBI were looking for a few young black men in connection with the crimes. 
when they heard about the robbery at Guarantee over the police radio, they raced over. And soon enough, a swarm of law enforcement was hot on Peggy Joe's trail. Uh, she drove her RV down the highway, trying to get away, but <laughs> RVs aren't exactly the ideal getaway car. Certainly less yeah, power I couldn't, than a Pontiac Grand Prix. Yeah, I couldn't get one of them as a getaway car. I couldn't make that no, work. No, no way. Um, so, as such, uh, while she headed uphill, the RV struggled, and she couldn't even get it above the speed limit. <laughs> um, which... I would say it's like the world's slowest car chase, but then OJ and his Bronco. Yeah. But certainly one of the most unique I've ever heard of. Yeah. Never heard of an RV car chase before. <laughs> Is it even a car? <laughs> no, me neither. Like, it's more like a motor, motor vehicle. A car slash home chase. <laughs> um, so eventually she turned into a quiet neighborhood. She turned down Irish Moss Drive, uh, but before she could get to the end of the road, two police cars sped past her and blocked her path. There was nowhere to go. None of the assembled law enforcement knew exactly what they were dealing with. They had heard varying reports about who was in the RV and didn't know if they were dealing with a single older woman or a group of gun-toting bank robbers. Uh, the purple curtains in the RV were drawn so they couldn't see what was going on inside. Peggy Jo stayed inside the RV for a while and smoked a cigarette at the kitchen table. The stained money sat next to her. In the bedroom, she kept a three fifty seven Magnum loaded under her pillow. But instead of grabbing that, she grabbed a toy pistol that she probably bought for future robberies. With the fake gun in hand, she walked to the door and opened it, keeping her hands by her side. The police were baffled. This wasn't a gang of hardened bank robbers. This was a grandma. And as she stood there in her wide-brimmed hat, Peggy Jo said, You're gonna have to kill me. <laughs> okay. Bold. An officer responded, Ma'am, you don't have to do this. She said, you mean to tell me if I come out of here with a gun and point it at y'all, you're not going to shoot me? Another officer responded, please don't. Please don't do that. But she did. Peggy Jo Tallis stepped out of the RV holding the toy gun. Four officers fired at her and she fell forward. She hit the ground and managed to take off her sunglasses and look to the sky. Then closed her eyes and died. Yep. Uh, when the officers searched her RV and discovered that they were dealing with Cowboy Bob, one of the FBI agents called Steve Powell, who at that point was retired, uh, and told him the news about Peggy Joe. Powell's response? Say it ain't so. <laughs> uh, nobody. It's very anticlimactic. <laughs> Say it ain't Say so. Say it ain't so. <laughs> um... Nobody knows just how many banks Peggy Joe managed to rob. Some FBI agents believe that she may have started in the 60s or 70s, and some wondered that uh, if she had started robbing banks again immediately after getting out of prison. FBI agents did conclude that she was behind the October 2004 robbery at Guarantee Bank, uh, but 
They don't know why she went back to the same bank, why she hadn't disguised herself, and why she hadn't used a note. Uh, her family and friends didn't really understand it either, and they had no clue she was back to her old tricks. But they were certain about one thing. Peggy Jo died doing what she loved. And that is the case of bank robber Cowboy Bob, a.k.a. Peggy Jo Tallis. Wow. <laughs> that is a wild right. ride. So... We should say, because I forgot to put this in the beginning of the episode, uh, this case was a request by my dear wife, the podcast gremlin, uh, in in preparation for her birthday, which is um, at the end of the week. So uh, I need to send her birthday cards. Yes, I... The ducks are guiding it. Oh, good. If if you're not familiar with the ducks, head over to Instagram. Yes, the ducks make an appearance. Yes. Um, um, but yeah, so she heard about this case on an episode of Criminal, and um, uh, she was like, oh, what about this one? And immediately I was like, yes, let's do it. I, I mean, I, so normally I do most of the scripts, yeah. and I love doing that because I'm good at that part, and you're good at editing, so we balance each other yeah. out. Um, but I do love it when you write scripts and I don't read them first because this was just wild. It's just so fun. Like I totally was not expecting it to be Peggy Joe. Nope. When when that suddenly clicked into place, I was like, oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, like I just and so we will put um, s there's a picture of Cowboy Bob in like a bank with a satchel from like some sort of security camera we'll put that online because i would not be able to tell that that was not a middle-aged man like <laughs> it, it is remarkable how good this disguise was and, like sure maybe if you were up close you might see oh yeah he's got a fake beard on whatever but like mm. just looks like your average texan <laughs> I swear to God. Well, I have never been to Texas, so I don't know what your average Texan looks like. I would say, so you know, you watch The Simpsons at all? Yes. You know the Texan character, like the rich Texan? Yeah. Cowboy Bob looks like that. A little skinnier. Oh. But like, that's him. <laughs> and so like, <laughs> never... Never would make the connection that, like, oh, yeah, that's little Peggy Joe. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I think what I love about this case is that she robbed all these banks, but she she was completely nonviolent in all of them. Yeah. Right? Like, there's a lot of, you know, bank robberies where it's these these apparently i was reading a bit about it most bank robberies are perpetrated by young people generally they're looking to get quick cash to buy drugs yeah. and they go in guns blazing and they don't really get away with more than one because they get caught they make yeah. mistakes but she just walked up gave him a note and walked out like it was smart it was fast nobody got hurt ever except for her <laughs> yeah um, I okay, so I've just googled her and yeah. found the picture. 
And she doesn't even look like the bank robber. No. She doesn't even look like herself. No. It's amazing. And they said at the end there, like, nobody knew why she had gone back to Robin Banks. Nobody knew why she clearly went out, made... Yeah. Were they even mistakes or were they intentional? Because she knew how to get away with bank robberies. Well, exactly. So, and she'd done it. You know, it's been proven now that she'd done it once after getting out of prison as well. So mm. that is a question of like, did yeah, she, she just decide this is the end of the line? Yeah. Because it does very much sound like suicide by police. Yeah. And like... She didn't even have... She had a, a magnum. Yeah. That was loaded that she, she could have... left there. That she could have used. She could have... She could have ended her own life. She could have gone out with a real gun, but she had a toy gun. Yeah. And she clearly had that interaction with the police. Like, if I point a gun, you're going to kill me, aren't you? Yeah. I'm... Kind of confused. It's... It's perplexing and i don't know you know there the thing is there's not all that much information out there about this case beyond texas monthly and the criminal episode uh funnily enough there are two hollywood films currently in development about peggy joe oh. um one of them i think is called the last ride of cowboy bob and uh, there's another one as well, but, uh, which I will hundred percent watch both of them when they come out. Oh yeah, <laughs> if they come out. Um, yeah. I one thing I think is really interesting is, like you say, we we think this girl's awesome. She like had flights of fancy and just took off to San Francisco yeah. just to see what it's like there. Yeah. And, you know, she saw a car with keys in the ignition and she just did off with it. Yeah. Didn't harm anyone. Didn't damage the car just drove off yeah if she was a guy we'd think very differently and if she was a um using guns or other weapons mm -hmm. in her robberies we'd probably think very differently as well yeah exactly i think i think that's the thing like i don't know it, there's also something very poetic about the fact that her favorite movie was butch cassidy and the sundance kid and like it's very, I was gonna say on the nose. Yeah, but, it is. Yeah, but like, I mean, she basically lived that life. She she went out in a blaze of glory, just like they did. And like, yeah. I don't know. Uh, there's, I think, like, yes, obviously, don't rob banks. It's bad. It's bad. Like, it's, it's not nice. There's something to be said for living your life on your own terms. And that's yeah. what she did. Yeah. And I suppose seeing, obviously, her mother have this very debilitating yeah. disease uh, that eventually just took over her life to the point she couldn't lift a, a knife and fork. Yeah. And seeing her sister uh, die, was it breast cancer? Mm-hmm. Obviously, she had to have a mastectomy as well. So, was there, you know, a risk of cancer in the family, things like that? Yeah. You know, how much does all this play a part in her 
her decision making in her just the way she lived her life yeah not that that is an excuse for going robbing banks no but But. no and i like actually now that you mentioned that you know could very well be that like maybe she found out that she had the same degenerative bone disease and just decided i'm gonna rob another bank and that'll be that you know um or yeah cancer or whatever yeah I won't blame her because I say it does sound like suicide by police. Yeah. I mean, it was suicide by police. She knew. Yeah, she knew it was going to happen. She knew as soon as she lifted that gun and took a step forward, they were going to shoot her. Yeah. Um, But I say we'll never know. It's not like, well, as far as we know, it's not like there was a, a note or anything left. No. Nobody knows why. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's a great story. Go listen to Criminal, which is... Anyway, a fantastic podcast that everyone should listen to anyhow. Um, And do go read the Texas Monthly article because Skip Hollinsworth is one of the best true crime writers I have ever read. He has a ton of awesome long form articles on Texas Monthly. And I think they've started doing a podcast uh, about some of their stories as well. So we'll link that as well. So uh, if you liked what you heard, um, we would very much appreciate it if you could uh, give us a rating and a review on uh, your podcast app of choice, but especially Apple Podcasts. Um, And if you could subscribe to us because it helps us reach more listeners and do more fun stuff and cover more cool cases. And you could also, if you've got, you know, some money from, you know, got some money for Christmas. Yeah. Uh, you could join our Patreon. Um, we don't accept gold coins, sadly. No. Um, or chocolate coins, as fun as that would be. No no cash from grandma. It has to go into the bank first and then, you know, yeah, that whole sadly. thing. Yeah. Uh, so you could join our Patreon. So it is patreon.com forward slash square mile of murder. The link will be in the episode description. Yep. Uh, we are rolling out some brand new bonus content for our two pound and up tiers. Yeah. So everyone who's you can sign up from a pound a month, so or a dollar a month, a euro a month, depending on your location. <laughs> I can't remember what other currencies they offer, but yeah, you can sign up anywhere. But they only offer the prices in certain currencies. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So everyone gets. Uh, regular episodes a day early two pounds and up you get some brand new bonus content which will be rolling out at the end of january Mm -hmm. you get some money can't buy merch that we send out to you after your second month to make sure it covers the postage otherwise Mm -hmm. we're in debt (laughs) and uh, you get discount on our from our merch shop as well yep at five pounds and up you get an extra full-length episode every month as well as all that ten dollars and up you get two extra episodes a month yep and yeah 20 you can sign up for 20 pound a month i've forgotten what you get get a tote bag a tote bag yeah on top of everything else yeah and 
if you want to join Taylor's lovely mother on our <laughs> 50 pound a month subscription, you yeah. also get a t-shirt and are listed as a producer on our website. And since she is the only one at that tier, I have not yet made that part of the website. But if someone else joins, I will. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we just need to find some li rich listeners. So yeah. if you've got any rich friends who, you know, want to uh, give money away to make themselves feel better. Give it to or, us. Or, you know, want to uh, tell people they support local businesses and yeah. everything. Or, or tell, Send them our way. tell people they're a podcast producer or executive yeah. producer or, I don't know, Patreon producer or something like that. However we've worded it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Send us your rich friends. Yeah. We will harvest them. <laughs> that sounds creepy. <laughs> Everything sounds creepy. I mean, yes. Yeah. And you can't say anything in, in this current climate without it sounding dangerous in one way or another. That is true. Follow us on Instagram at Square Mile of Murder. Tell us what you think about Cowboy Bob and all the other crap we ramble about. Yeah. Um, and we will be back next week with a new episode. Yes. So we'll see you then. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye.